Lord Jesus, I, I come grateful um, that you have already made your presence known to us. Lord, we pray that you would just continue to pour yourself out this morning. I think of the words of John the Baptist, Lord, may I decrease and you increase this morning. Would you speak to the hearts of your people? Lord, would you convict where conviction is needed? Would you encourage where encouragement is needed? Come and have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we started last week a series on marriage uh, and titled Marriages That Make a Difference. I, I believe, and I think it comes from the scriptures, that marriage is meant to be one of the most powerful, transformative tools that we have on this earth. It's meant to make a difference in the lives of the two people involved in the marriage and the family that surrounds those two people and the neighborhood and the community. Marriage is meant to be a transforming tool. One of the things we looked at last week as we were kind of introducing this is we said, what's one of the most destructive things in our culture? And we said, broken families missing parents and kids being raised by grandparents. And as the marriage is destroyed, we see that culture begins to decline as well. I believe that God has given us godly marriages to make a difference in our communities, in our own lives, and everything in between. But if we're going to have a marriage that makes a difference, I think there's five kind of foundational areas where we need to grow. And I, what I said last week, when I use that word grow, I mean grow in understanding and grow in practice. We need to grow, have a deeper understanding of some of these foundational principles when it comes to marriage or honestly any relationship. And we need to grow in our practice, the things we actually do, the way that we approach these relationships. And so last week, we started to look at expectations, the, the first arena uh, to grow in. We have to learn to be a people that evaluate and communicate our expectations. Expectations in any relationship, but man, especially in a marriage relationship, they determine our actions and our reactions. What we expected to get out of a relationship or what we expected to happen that day or in this situation determines the actions we go into it with and our reactions when things don't go according to how we expected them to, yeah? One thing we're, when I say we, I mean just people in general are notoriously bad at is actually communicating what we expected. Amen. From a married man for a long time, like he gets it. No, but it, it, like I said, it's not just a marriage, it's in any relationship. We don't communicate it, but then we get frustrated when people don't do what we thought they should do or respond how we thought they should respond or whatever it might be. Frustration is linked to unmet expectations. When we start to feel kind of the, the pitch rising in a relationship, you know, and your face starts to get a little flushed and there's that frustration, that should be a red flag to us to stop and go, wait, 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 I had an expectation that didn't get met. Do I even know what that expectation was? Was it realistic? Was it unrealistic? Did I even communicate it to that person? Like, we really have to grow in this. This is a foundational principle. Uh, I, I don't do this often, but if you weren't here last week, I'm really going to encourage you to go online to our website, uh, elkinsalliance.com, and listen to last week's message, because I'm going to keep referring back to it as we go throughout this series, because it's so pivotal in our relationships. We have to grow and learn to evaluate and communicate our expectations. What we're going to look at this week is roles, God-given roles in marriage, Next week, conflict, or no, actually, these next two weeks are going to be roles. There was too much to fit in. Uh, so then conflict, finances, and finally, intimacy. If we can grow in our understanding and practice in these areas, we can begin to have marriages that make a difference, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of those around us. So we need to grow in our understanding of our God-given roles in marriage. Our understanding of the roles that that I play, that my wife plays, like that you and your spouse play, your understanding of those roles determines your expectations, which then determines everything else. We have to make sure that we're on the same page when it comes to our understanding of our God-given roles. Like to the point where I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna, as we go throughout uh, the message over the next two weeks, I'm gonna explain my stance on the, the roles that we have in marriage as men and women. It's our denominational stance, all of this stuff, I would rather you both be on the same page and disagreeing with me 
than have one of you with me and one of you on the other side. Like, I don't think this has, when I, I didn't want, I'm careful not to use the word against or whatever, because I'm not trying to pit, you know, these different viewpoints against each other. But I think the ultimately the most important thing is that you and your spouse are, are on the same page. What I'm going to explain to you is how I see it laid out scripturally, but I would rather have you both be on the other side than one with me and one not. Does, this, does that make sense, church? Okay. The, the view that, that I take, that our denomination takes, is called a complementarian view. What that means is this, that God created man and woman, husband and wife, equal in every way, but different. Oftentimes when we think of different, we think of better or worse, more useful, less useful. Like we, we, we categorize and we tend to prioritize things. God created man and woman, husband and wife, completely equal, equal in terms of value, equal in terms of dignity, equal in terms of grace received from the king. There's no favorites at the foot of the cross, that kind of idea, but that God created us to fulfill different roles when we come together, complementary roles. That's where the name comes from, complementarian. We get it from places like this. In Genesis chapter two, we, we read this passage last week. God created everything. He creates Adam. He puts him in the garden and he goes, Adam, like your job is to watch over everything that I've created. But he says this really key thing. He says, but it's not good for you to be alone in this. You need a helper. And so before just telling Adam the answer, God wants to help him rule out everything else. So he goes, let's go look at all the animals. See if we can find a helper there. And you probably know the story. Adam goes through and he names all of the animals. And then we come to verse 20. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found as his complement. Or some other translations say, no suitable helper was found for the man. Nothing else had been created that was what the, the man needed to be whole and to do the work that God had called him to. So from there, that goes into the story of the creation of Eve. God puts Adam to sleep, takes out one of his ribs, and out of that rib creates woman, Eve. Adam sees her in his head over heels and says, this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. Like, I, I will be with her forever. And God said, this is now complete. Adam now has the, the suitable complement that I created him to need. It's almost like two different pieces of a puzzle. They don't look alike, but they're meant to go together. This is a complementarian view. There's a, a passage that we're going to be looking at. This is kind of our jumping off point for the next two weeks, and it's a hard one. Like many of you will clinch when I, when I read this passage. But Ephesians 5, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Now, this has all kinds of baggage that probably just backloaded into your head from wounds that you've had and things you've heard people say and whatever else. Like, I understand that. What I want to talk about right now is simply that Paul is trying to show, like, these are two that are meant to come together, and there's this structure that they're meant to work within. We're, we're going to talk about what that looks like and everything, but he's going, look, just as Jesus is the head of the church, the husband is the head of the wife. There's, there's this structure here that we need to work within. Have you ever tried to put yourself over Jesus? If you say no, like you're very unaware. Like, we, yes, we all have. How did it go? Not great, right? And Paul is saying, look, in marriage, it's the same thing. God has created this structure, this order for things to work within. And when we get that confused, when we start putting things out of order... This all goes sideways really, really quickly. Equal value. I want to keep coming back and saying this. Equal value, equal recipients of grace, different roles. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, For as many of you has been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ like a garment, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Paul wants it to be abundantly clear there's, there's no favoritism. God's not going, I like this gender better than this gender, or this one is more useful to me than this one. Or, he goes, no, like whatever your ethnic background, whatever your, your situation is, slave or free, whatever your gender, all are one in Christ. 
we are all children. We're going to read a passage later out of 1 Peter where he says we are all co-heirs. We all have the same destiny waiting for us one day. No difference, male or female. But the roles which with, with which we're to live out with each other are different. Is this making sense, church? Okay. Equal at the foot of the cross, different roles. Complementary roles, meant to make one another better coming together. So here's, there, there's two words that are kind of in the back of our minds as we begin to talk about roles in marriage. As we read like that passage from Ephesians 5, husband is the head of the wife. Like there's two words that we really have to deal with if we're gonna have this conversation. The first one is this. What comes to your mind when you think of the word authority? Law, okay. Overpowering, okay. Submit. Kitty knows where we're going. We'll get there next. What comes to mind when you think of the word authority? Leader, okay. What was it? To obey. To obey, okay. Some single guys over here. They can say stuff like that. Shelter, okay. What else? What comes to mind when you think of the word authority? Leadership. Protection, okay. Responsibility. In charge. Again, some single guys amening that one. To party. <laughs> I did. You got to, okay, listen, and a lot of people, that's where you go, you got to fight for your right, okay? Authority, like, there's a lot of rights and privilege that come along with authority, right? Let, let, me, let me ask it a little bit this way. What does the world mean when it uses the word authority? Police officers. Okay, police officers. Government. Government. Scripturally, they're, they're, we're, we're told in a couple different places in like Romans 13, the government was given as an authority over you and how we're supposed to live within that. Absolutely. Shanna? In charge. In charge. Okay, kind of the buck stops here kind of thing, like that the decision maker kind of idea, okay? What about things like oppression? Abuse of authority. I mean, turn on the news, I don't care what channel you watch, one side's always accusing the other side of it, we see it played out in the news, like people are talking about abuses of authority. Some view authority as just bad altogether because look how it keeps ending up. Okay, anything else? What do you think of when you hear authority? Confusing, scary. <laughs> Confusing and scary. Okay, authority often has to do with I'm in trouble. Okay, anything else? Order, okay. Yeah, people that are there to keep the order, to make sure things happen in the way that they should. Okay, let's look at the flip side of the coin. What comes to your mind when you think of submission? The S word, as, as we call it in our house. We don't, really. But what comes to mind when you think of submission? What was it? Scary. Scary. Tap out. Okay, like in a fight, you submit, you give up, you quit. Okay. What else? Giving in. Losing. Boy, these are fun topics, right? Like, uh, weight lifted off of your shoulders. Okay. Oftentimes with submission, there's the, a removal of a weight. I don't have to make the decision. Like, that's somebody else's job. Okay? To fall in line. Okay. What else? Anything else? Okay, weakness. Like you're, there's the, the alpha and everyone else submits to the alpha because they're weaker, they're not as strong, that kind of idea, okay? I think of giving up control, not having control. Yeah, G giving up control. Some, someone else is in control, I'm not, okay? Anything else? Following. Following? Yeah. 
okay? Okay, so there's, there's a posture more than just an action that goes along. I can, I can drive the speed limit, but the things I'm saying about the cop that's you know, behind me might not be submissive. Or not when I say me, I mean someone else <laughs> might have that. Okay, so, so it, it's more of a posture or an attitude maybe than just an action or an outcome. Okay? Do you have like a rap lyric that could help us remember that, Tim? No? No, okay, okay, cool. So I think that these are really important things for us to kind of bring up to the forefront. All of us have some positive and maybe some negative reactions when we hear these words, authority and submission. Some, sometimes we can see them framed in a positive light. Oftentimes, especially when we look at the way that the, the world uses them and the way that they function in our society, they can have a negative cast to them as well. Uh, authority can be this kind of oppressive, do what I say, I'm at the top, you're down there, who, who gets all of the perks and the benefits? Let's look in a business. Is it the CEO or the guy sweeping the floor? CEO. Who's getting better pay? Who gets to decide what hours they work? Who, oftentimes, this is how we look at authority, is those at the top who kind of get to decide how things are going to go. And, and who do they typically choose in favor of? Themselves, right? We look at submission and we see it as this being almost like a forced position, being pushed into submission, or to that point, some of you were saying like just giving up. It's fine, I quit, you win. It's a, it's a losing type posture oftentimes when we look at in our culture, and I don't think that these are the ways that the scripture uses these words. When, when Paul or Peter or Jesus use these words, I don't think they had that in mind. They actually have a very countercultural meaning, meaning which is one of the things that we're going to look at. So, so back to where we are in our marriages. I want to look today at the role of a husband. Next week, we're going to come and we're going to look at the role of a wife. But for now, speaking to men, let's look. We started in Ephesians chapter 5. We, we zoomed in on verse 23. I want to back out and look at 23 and 24 together. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body, speaking of, of Christ, now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. How many of you, when I read that passage, get a little, like, shiver? You know, or like, just, oh, I kind of wish that one wasn't in there a little bit. I won't ask this question, but it would be not fun, but interesting to see how many, when I, how many, how many men hear that and go, sweet. <laughs> don't answer. Keep your hands down. Like, just men don't react at all. I think there are some who read that and go, awesome, I'm in charge. We, we have seen there's a, a history in society, but also in the church in certain veins, where it's been the husband is the head of the wife, and he is to be this kind of oppressive authority, and I believe that's completely unbiblical. But the thing that we can't shy away from it would be much easier to teach if it was true, but the husband has been given a role of authority in the family. Like, I mean, th Paul didn't mince words here. He didn't leave a whole lot to be, like, interpreted differently. He said, you know how Jesus is over the church? And they all would have gone, yeah, he's in charge. It's just like that. But the husband over the wife. And listen, I, I don't think the readers in Ephesus probably went, ooh, Paul, Maybe like soften it a little bit, tone it down a little bit. But he was trying to make it very clear. A husband has been given a role of authority in the family over his wife. And I hesitate to even use that word over because, again, I know it has so much baggage there. But our problem is that we tend to adopt the world's faulty view of authority. Sometimes we, we don't mean to, but we read that into Scripture. And there's almost this, so the husband's job is to lead oppressively and selfishly his family. He's the one to be in charge, but so he decides what's best, and most people in charge decide what's best for themselves. And so this has been kind of a, a sign above the door that men have used to go, I can do whatever I want. And listen, 
I believe that that is a horrible abuse that, again, in, in church history, we've kind of rubber stamped and gone, yeah, go for it, man. I don't believe that is at all God's heart in this. Let, let's look at how the writer of Hebrews talks about what it is to have a role of authority. Speaking to the whole church, he's, he's talking about church leadership here, and he says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So he's going, look, church, God has raised up some and put them in roles of authority, leadership in the church. Follow in such a way where it's a joy for them, because he's going, look, just very practically, you're not helping yourself to be a pain in the neck. Like, follow in such a way that it's honoring and that you're someone who is easy to lead because it's profitable for you in the end. But look at what he says about those that have been called to lead. They keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. The scriptures tie authority to accountability. Oftentimes, again, the world's view is those that don't have to answer to anyone. Those that will never have to give an account because they make the rules. Scripturally, what we find is those that are in a position of authority will one day answer to God for their use of authority. Authority and accountability are linked in the scripture. A role of authority is actually taking on the weight of accountability. Culture says it's this freedom. You get to throw off anything and do whatever you want. Scripture says, remember those who are leading, you will give an account for your use of authority. Keep in mind that you will one day answer to the king on how you used the authority you're borrowing from him. The world has this top-down view, and the scripture is completely backwards. Even, listen, I'm aware of this every single Sunday. In James chapter 3, not many should become teachers, my brothers, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. When I stand up here, whether, I don't know how you see me, but I'm placing myself in a place of authority. I'm going, let me tell you what God says. Let me tell you how you should live your lives. It's a place of authority. And listen, we've seen abuses even in the church where people have used this position to get what they want, to, I mean, just some of the sickening stories that you can read about the fall of church leaders. They didn't take James's warning seriously. Brothers, you, sh you should be very careful before you step into a role of leadership because by doing so, you're accepting the fact that you will be judged more strictly than those that you lead. You will be held to a higher standard. You will be held to account in a way that those you lead will not be doesn't say, man, for those of you that are teachers, awesome. Kick back and enjoy it. Get what you can get. Man, many of you who are thinking, should I, shouldn't I, before you do, recognize the weight of accountability that comes with authority. Move forward very cautiously here. Do you remember when I told you last week, I said, Kim and I, like th what this is, essentially our premarital counseling that we go through with a couple that comes and, yay, we're engaged, we want to get married. And the first thing we do is tell them, we're going to try to scare you out of it. Like, we tell them that flat out. Because if we can scare you out of it now, we have saved you a whole lot of pain and heartache down the road. And so we look at, I look at the man and I go, listen, God is going to hold you accountable for the way that you lead your wife. One day you will stand before the king of kings and he'll say, why did you lead in this way? Why did you make this decision? And listen, not because he's mean and waiting to drop the hammer. He goes, I gave you a role of authority. How did you use it? We will have to answer that. Wives, I don't think you will have to answer that. Next week, we're going to talk about some different questions that you'll have to answer one day. But for those of us with a role of authority, whether that's church leadership, whether that's at work, whether that's in your home, as a husband to your wife, one day you will have to answer the king, how did you use the authority that I gave you? Men, can you feel the weight settling in? Some of you accepted this years ago, and some of you, this might be the first time you're hearing it, but there's a weight, a bit of trepidation that comes with it, and that's a good and healthy thing. We will be held accountable by God one day for the way we lead our lives and our families. And listen, 
punting on this is not an option. Going, well, then, then I don't want to lead. Never mind. You take it, wife. Not an option. When you stood up there that day and you said, I do, and you put the ring on her finger, I I, then I wouldn't. <laughs> you put the ring on her finger. This is what you were signing up for. You can't stand before God one day and go, that sounded hard, so I decided not to. Man, it was so much easier. I just, I just like to fish. So I just said, no, thank you. You figure it out. Uh-oh. There was a little too much laughter with the fishing thing. But it's just, yeah, it was random. Fishing is funny. We can't punt. If you are married here today, if you are a husband, you already agreed to this. You already vowed this. Now comes the recognition. How am I leading those that God has given me authority over? Because one day I'll be held accountable. So we're told there in Ephesians that we are the head over our wives as Christ is the head over his church. So let's use Christ as our model, as our example. How does Jesus love his church? Sacrificially. How else? How does Jesus lead his church? Unconditionally. Okay. Perfectly. Sorry, guys. Mercifully. Okay. Okay. Gracefully. Like he always, like he was a good dancer. Like no, there's always grace being poured out. Yeah. How else? How does Jesus love his church? Compassionately. Okay, the agape love, which is that sacrificial love, laying down what I want, placing what you want as the greater thing. Okay? He sets a visible example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Re read through, I mean, the New Testament and see the things that is said about Christ in loving his church. And we talk about, you know, the, the grace that he poured out. When you start to read through the New Testament and you see that like, whoa, the words are used like boundless grace, never ending grace. And listen, as men, we should go, whew, like that's a job description for me. Here's the good news, men. Are we ever going to get it perfect? No. Is God's expectation for us that we do it perfectly? Thankfully, no. He still has grace towards us as well. But what are we aiming for? How do we use our role of authority that God has given us? Let's, let's keep reading in Ephesians chapter 5. We read 23 and 24. Here in 25, Paul begins to describe exactly what we're talking about. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. When the scriptures talk about authority, there is always this servant leadership in mind. We lead by placing ourselves under and serving. This sacrificial leadership, Jesus loved his church and gave himself for her. Was it for his own good that he went to the cross? No. Was it for his own good that he came to earth, like literally left the perfection of heaven and came down here to earth? Was it because, man, he was just so curious he had to see it? No. It was for our good. He chose to sacrifice himself. He chose to put our needs, our desires, even above his own. And he says, this, man, is the model by which you lead your wives. The main focus of any decision, what would put her in the best position to be the woman that God has created her to be? To lead your family in a way where their good is at the forefront, not what you want and what you think is best. This is a high calling. There is, I get back to that accountability, there is a weight that comes with this. Listen, in my weakness, I look at my wife and family, and listen, this is ugly, but it's true, and most of you will, 
will know this as well. And I go, what can I get out of this? How can I use this situation to make me happy? What works best for me? And that, that is the world's view of authority. The scriptural view of authority, my role as a husband, is to go, what do I need to do to put them in the best possible position to succeed. Listen, not, we talked about this last week. Not that they would just be happy all the time, but that they would be holy. Jesus died to make the church holy, cleansing her by washing with the word. Sometimes God will call us husbands to use our authority to say, no, this is not the way. I know that, like, wife, family, I know that you think this is the best but I believe in my spirit that it's not. And so I have to use my authority to say, we can't go this direction. Sometimes it involves making them unhappy, but it's because ultimately it's for their good. Sometimes it's, I, I, I heard someone say this one time and for about two years now I've been striving very imperfectly to do this, but to walk into any situation with my wife with my answer being yes, now let's see if it's possible. I tend to come in with a, I don't know, if you leave, four kids is a lot. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm leaving whenever I want, and she, because she's just better at it, you know. But instead to come into every situation and going, I want my default to be, if that's what you want, if that's what you think is best, my default's gonna be yes. Let's see if it's possible, let's see if it's wise. But I wanna put you in the best possible place to succeed. And who will it cost if we take that seriously? Me. I'm going to have to go the extra mile. I'm going to have to pick up here to make that possible. I'm going to have to, maybe, like I said, in one of those situations where that's not what I believe is the right choice, I may have to look at her and go, I disagree with you. I don't think that's the way that God is calling us to. And that's hard. Those are hard conversations. It costs me to lead well. But one day I'm going to stand before the king and he's gonna say, let's take a look at your bride. How well did you lead her? How, how well did you enable her to become the woman that I made her to be? And I wanna look at him and go, I did what I could. <laughs> I fell short here and here, but my desire was the same as yours. I wanted to see your daughter raised up. And so I lived sacrificially imperfectly, again, God is gracious towards us. Thank you, Lord. But my heart's desire was to sacrifice so that she could flourish. And we're going to talk next week. There's this, this complimentary part. Men, we're not just left out there on an island unhappy every day. Like, no. But that's the sacrificial spirit that Jesus has for his church and that he calls husbands to have for our, for our wives and for our children. I'll endure great cost to see you become who God has created you to be. And listen, if that is not our stance here this morning, I call us to repentance. May we never use what God has given us for our own gain. May we always use it for his glory and the good of others. And listen, there's this perfect scenario out there that none of us will ever reach where I'm using what God has given me, like even just... Let's zoom out to the church for your good. And I work hard and I sacrifice because I want to see God build you up. And you're doing the same. And through your sacrifice, my needs are met. And there's this beautiful tapestry that is woven as we come into this. And it's meant to be the same in marriage. But what, listen, wives, next week we're going to deal with some difficult things for you. But for men, we do not have the ability as those given the role of authority to go, well, when she deserves it, then I'll start leading that way. I am so incredibly grateful that our king did not wait for us to deserve it. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Paul says in Romans. He said, I'm going to lead in this way because that's what you need, whether you know it or not, whether you deserve it or not. I'm going to lay it on the line because that's what you need. And husbands, that's the way that we are called to lead our wives and to lead our families. Next week, as we look at submission, ladies, if you think about this, if, if your husband's natural default was, how do I put you in a place to succeed? 
How do I see you thrive and flourish? Submission would be a whole different conversation, right? That, that's kind of that easy, like, yeah, he's always got my back. Like, why would I fight him on this? It, it would be easy if we did it perfectly. We're not, and so your job will not be easy, but we're going to talk about that next week. But, men, we set the tone. We, we set the tone. We, is it going to be easy for our wives and our children to fulfill their roles? Or are they always going to have to be guarding themselves against us? Because we're always asking, what do I get? It's ugly. I get it. Even just saying it out loud, it sounds really ugly. But it's there. Let's be honest. We set the tone, husbands. We have been given that role of authority, and we will be held accountable one day. And I don't want to look at my king and go, it was hard. I just didn't want to do it. I don't want to have that conversation with him. And I don't think any of us in here do. So how will we lead our wives and our families? There's, Kim is saying, the, the ability to live this out is something we have to receive from the Holy Spirit. None of us has this kind of, this inner strength inside of ourselves to always lay it down and to be selfless. We are at our core sinful beings. The only way we can live like this is to receive the ability from the Father. And I, and I think even, she started to touch on this, to receive this kind of leadership from Jesus. Many of us, we lead in the same way, we, like we give what we get. And we think that almost God is up there going, oh, we'll see, when you deserve it, I'll give it, you know, kind of thing. And that we, we kind of picture God as this kind of selfish, he's in charge, but it's kind of like oppressive and it's this weight that's on our shoulders. And so we lead in that same way. I think, men, if, if this is something that we struggle with, if this is something, listen, not that comes natural like it's easy, but if this is not becoming our default, I would say, we probably have a misunderstanding of the king's authority in our life. That he is some like taskmaster we're just trying to keep happy. But instead, he is leading us men in this same way. He's going, I am trying to put you in a position where you will flourish. Even through sacrificing for your family, that is the key to you flourishing. But do we trust his authority in our lives? We naturally fight him in that, and so we expect other people to fight us, and, and on and on it goes. If, we, if we're not able to see this, there's a decent chance we have not received this from our king. Does that make sense, church? Okay. So the biblical understanding of authority is completely upside down from the world's. They have this top-down, you're at the top so that you can finally be free and get what you want where the scriptural understanding is those that have been given authority are, as it says in Philippians chapter two, Christ being God made himself a servant of all. And it says that's how we're to use our authority is to serve those that God has placed us in community with. But listen, I wanna hear you, leadership doesn't look like doing it all yourself. Sometimes we hear that, okay, you're gonna be held accountable and there is that decision-making piece. Sometimes as, as a husband, God is gonna call me to say, this is, the, this is the way that we need to go. This is the decision that needs to be made. 
And so sometimes I think, okay, so then the buck has to stop with me, you know, kind of thing. We misunderstand authority. I, I think it, it would be so much more helpful to look at it and go, where is my wife more gifted than me? And how do I empower her in that area? I'm going to let her take the lead in this area because it just comes so naturally to her. Where is she more experienced than you? She's, she came from a different place. She went to school for different stuff and whatever it might be. Where does she literally have the upper hand? And the wisest way of managing you could do is to go, hey, you lead this. I'm going to delegate my authority to you because you are made for this. You will lead our family in this area better than I can, and so I'm going to lean on you hard. Where is she more knowledgeable? How do you empower her to use her God-given gifts and abilities, skills, and talents to impact your family in really healthy ways? Listen, my use of leadership often means looking at my wife and going, you know way more about this than me. What way do you think we should go? How do you think we should handle this? And short of, you know, the Holy Spirit coming in and going, sounds smart, but that's not it. And like just this heaviness in my spirit to go, I don't think it's the right way. Short of God moving in a, in a very real way, I'm going to defer to her because she just knows more. The best use of my authority is to go, you have been wired to make this decision how should we go as a family? I'm going to trust you in that. Sometimes we have that again. We hear authority, accountability, and we go, okay, so I have to make every decision. No. How do we empower those in our family to lead using their God-given gifts, talents, and abilities? It's the best use of authority you can have. And again, there may be some times where God goes, she's pretty smart, but I'm doing something different here. That's, that's not the way you should go. That's not... And as a husband, I have to step in and go, man, I appreciate everything you just said. It's just not sitting right in my spirit. We need, to, we need to seek the Lord on this and everything. But Kim, you and I were talking a little bit this week. How many times in our marriage has that come up where like, like somebody just has to make the decision? We, we've talked about it and we're just at such kind of different places. You know, there's, there's, there's no tie-breaking vote when there's two people. Somebody has to make the decision We've been married for, we're in 21 years now. How many times, ballpark? I mean, honestly, like maybe five or six, but I, not that many. Right. Ten, I don't know. I can't even remember that many. I know she tells about two stories where I come out right in the end. <laughs> like, I mean, not ever. But like where, where we had to make these bigger decisions and she chose to trust me, which again, we'll talk about some next week, and later comes back and goes, man, I'm so glad that I listened to you, and I'm like, I'm so glad I didn't blow this whole thing up. <laughs> but it's a handful of times in our 21 years. This is a, there's a big fear here of like, oh, this decision-making and this. We're not talking about like every week. He tells me what to eat for dinner. and we, you know. This doesn't come out all that often. We are, we're more scared of it than times we'll see it. Does that make sense? It kind of has this big looming quality to it. Someone's the decision maker. It doesn't happen often. And when it does, again, my prayer is that it happens graciously. I feel like this is what the Lord is saying. Can, can we just, can we pray on this? Can we just keep talking about this? Because I really feel like the Lord's leading our family in this way. And listen, when my wife says that, I just really feel like this is the right decision. That has incredible weight in my life to go, okay, I need to rethink everything I thought on this subject because I love and trust her. She hears from the Lord as well. And so if she is going, man, there's just something here, I need to give pause to this. We need to really spend time on this together because I trust her. Does that make sense? I don't want to keep talking about this or talking around this. Peter, over in 1 Peter chapter 3, says, husbands, in the same way, we'll, we'll read next week what in the same way means. Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partners and heirs with you to the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I have a feeling for someone in the room, I can't teach on anything else until I deal with that weaker partner part because <laughs> some of you were just triggered. Why would Peter say that? Like the weaker partner piece, I don't mean, I don't believe means 
as, as someone who's far less capable, as someone who just breaks easier. In society back then, women were little more than property. Actually, the, the New Testament is one of the catalysts that brought about so much amazing change that we see in the empowerment of women because back in their day, women were property, weaker partners, as in anyone could take advantage of pretty much anyone, any woman in any way, and there was no repercussions back then because it was just a woman. But Peter is instead going, everyone else can take advantage of women, but you, husbands, treat them with respect. For, for him to write back then, be considerate of your wives, would have caused many to go, wait, what? completely revolutionary. In fact, he even goes on to go, they are heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. The promises you have, they have the same promises. There was this equality that Peter was bringing to the table that would have been completely revolutionary. And he's going, look, their position in society is far weaker than yours. You need to be mindful and considerate of that because actually their father has placed them on equal footing with you. They are co-heirs to everything that you are heir to. And so, so Peter is trying to lift up women while acknowledging right now in society, they are easy to take advantage of. Be careful, don't squash them, husbands. Be considerate of them instead. And listen, he puts this thing on the end so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Peter, so are you saying that if I'm not considerate of my wife, respectful of my wife, if I don't lead her well, my prayers are going to bounce off the ceiling? Yes. You have been given a God-given role of authority, and to misuse that is to mistreat the king's daughter. And let me tell you, you mistreat my daughter and think we can be cool? I'm going to struggle. I'll say that. And it's the same way with our Heavenly Father. The way that you lead your wife, your spirit towards her, your attitude towards her reflects your attitude towards me. And when something is broken there, something is broken here. The way that we lead and live with our wives affects our spiritual lives, affects our ability even to pray. Men, let's be real. How many of us struggle in our relationship with Jesus? I mean, listen, all of us, yes? But some of us, we know that struggle is, look, I don't even know if I want to follow him. I, I don't even know how close he really is. When I pray, he feels so distant. When I open the word, it just feels like nothing is there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you, start with your relationship with your wife. Is there something that needs to change here? Listen, you may look at it and go, no, we're actually, this is awesome, and we're in a great place. Not the issue. Cool. Keep seeking. I'll, I'll seek with you. What is that problem? But I think for many of us, the brokenness here is reflecting the brokenness here. And we have to deal with that. Am I putting my wife in a place to succeed? Washing her with the word, leading her spiritually. If not, I can expect my prayers to be hindered. There's weight to this. So back to Ephesians Chapter 5, I just want to read this entire section. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot, wrinkle, or anything like that, but holy and blameless. And in the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And a few verses later, he goes, look, I've said a whole lot. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. This has a ripple effect in our lives, affecting all the way out to our, our relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's not something that we can just continue to ignore. Men, we have to take the role that God has given us as husbands seriously. Am I loving her as I love myself? 
I want people to put me in a position to thrive and to succeed. I want people to, to sometimes, I was getting this picture as I was working through this this week, standing in the river and it feels like the current is pushing against you. I want someone to come and stand in front of me so that the waters part around them. They, he, Jesus comes and he takes the brunt of it so that we can stand in the still waters behind him. And he says, husbands, I made you big and strong. You're meant to part the waters for her, to put her in a position where she can become the woman that God has called her to be, to be gentle and patient with your children and to put them in a position where they can become the man or the woman that God has created them to be. This is your role. This is why I gave you this role. This is why I made you like I made you. Use it on their behalf. I'm going to ask the music team to come, and before I pray and close, we're going to sing a song called Underdressed. Um, we do this song around communion a lot because it's kind of that, I'm unworthy to come to you, God. I'm, I'm, at, I'm at a feast table with the king, and I realize, like, man, I am just unqualified to be here. I'm completely underdressed. As I was writing this message this week, I just kept coming back to a God, like, I can't do this. I'm completely underqualified. I'm completely underdressed. But the words of this song are about how he continues to give grace. He invites us in anyway. He walks with us anyway. So husbands especially, if you find yourself listening to this and just going, yeah, I don't know. I'm unqualified. I'm unable to do that. I'm going to invite you just to submit yourself to the king as we sing this song. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your faults and your flaws. And he wants to pour out grace on you anyway. So would you pray with me as we close by worshiping? Lord Jesus, I want to be the man you've called me to be. And that involves helping my wife become the woman you've called her to be. I think it might be the greatest task that you've given me. We recognize, God, it will involve sacrifice. It will involve saying no to me so that I can say yes to her. It will involve taking on hardship to remove the weight from her. Standing in the river and taking the brunt of the current so that she can rest in the still waters behind me. But God, there's something even about that picture that gives me courage and hope. God, we're, as men, we're fighters. May we fight for our wives, even at great cost to ourselves. It's what you've made us for. May we live into it, God, I pray. In Jesus' name.